1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Those damn trolls! (laughs) BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist.
1: You can start communicating in under 48 hours.
2: It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas.
1: The service is available for clients worldwide.
2: You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available.
1: BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today.
2: Visit their website and read their testimonials. that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's better H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for true crime listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com.
1: Better com forward slash Sean
2: S-H-A-U-N. Please check out the link in our description box. So here we are with John Wedger, part five. I think I've lost count now.
3: Yeah, there's been a few, have not there?
2: <laughs> Some of them were removed during the great deplatforming. You can find them on our backup channel. I think parts one, two, and three. are on the backup channel. I'll put the link in the description box. Part four is on the main channel. Part five, you're watching it today on the main channel. If you're not familiar with the story of John Wedger, well, good grief. Before we had to remove the videos, they had millions of views on his combined stuff and his story is a harrowing one whereby he put himself out there in the police as at the forefront of investigating certain crimes that the higher ups did not want investigated and they said to him John if you continue to open these cases you will lose everything you will lose your job your house your family And guess what happened? John did not back down and he did lose absolutely everything. So, you do not find a crusader with a bigger heart than John Wedger coming out of the cops and continuing to this day to expose what's going on in the world. Now, this is an educational video based on true life events of John himself and cases. ...documented in the news and the courts that he has researched. These are not conspiracies. We're not going to go into any grounds that will break YouTube's community um, guidelines today. These are all fully documented court cases. You can Google them yourselves and it's for educational and documentary purposes. Co-hosting today is Jen of Boomer and Jen. And if you've not checked out her line of organic cotton clothing yet... Her links are also in the description box below this video, as will the links to John's YouTube channel and any of the other links where you can click over and support him. Now, one of the guests John has referred to us over the years is Karine. Is it pronounced Hutzibaut? Hutz-tabart. Hutzibaut. Hutzibaut. Karine has gone into prisons across Europe and interviewed people who have committed some of the most heinous crimes on the planet. A proper Clarice Starling going in there as a younger person and then just building this career up over the years and publishing all these books. Corrine has actually had a major breakthrough recently. And When John sent me this text the other night, I was just like, wow. So we're going to start out talking about the case that Corrine has... has um, opened up and then we'll be getting into the case that John's working on and some of the other ongoing things in his life I know you guys always love it when John's on the channel so please let us know in the comments you know what you thought about this and please post any questions down there for John as well so huge thank you for coming back John brilliant thanks. yeah cheers so this news about Corrine then you sent me a text and um, I read it but I imagine there's a lot more to it than that so if you want to let the viewers know.
3: Yeah, yeah. Corrine, for those who don't know Corrine, Corrine hutz She's she does want to call herself a profiler because she said everyone profiles. And we all naturally profile anyway. Whenever you're in, in a, you know, an unusual environment, you're going to profile. And I think in, the more hyper-vigilant you are, the more tuned in you are. But she's one of the FBI's top 10 profilers. There has been attempts on her life in the past. She was the one who profiled Mark Dutroux, the Beast of Belgium. And if anyone has no idea who Mark Dutroux is, D-U-T-R-O-U-X, what a phenomenal um, insight into how this system works, you know. Uh, Mark Dutroux was really a low-level criminal who was used to abduct children. The man uh, was a pervert himself, he's dead now, Uh, but he was abducting um, kids for I think 150,000 euros a hit. Uh, young girls which were used for sex parties and when um, eventually it did come out uh, there was numerous victims, some died, they kept them in underground chambers they were used for parties for CEOs of big corporations there was members of the clergy, very high up members of clergy there was members of of the British establishment, uh, the Belgium establishment Um, and it was covered up, you know, it was covered up at police level which is something I know all too well goes on. Um, and anyone who don't think it goes on, well, you know, I, I've got news for you. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of go into it. I call it like the algorithm of how this works. There is always an algorithm. There's an algorithm of how these perverts get together, how their MO, their modus operandi, and there's also an algorithm of how they bully you. And it's very similar. So myself and other police whistleblowers were all bullied. Although it was different forces, were all bullied in exactly the same way, uh, and it works. So it's something that they know works, and, and this is obviously intelligence-led. Um, uh, and uh, they tried to shut this down; they couldn't do it. And this is where people got to understand their power, because um, in the build-up to the trial for Mark D'Amico, ninety-nine-zero civilian witnesses died. What? Ninety died. Um, there was threats to the journalists. There was a good journalist, a, a man called Deconic, who actually pulled it out there. There was a good chief police officer, again, who pulled it out there. They were all removed, threatened, silenced. The um, police went round to search a house and, and they could clearly hear kids' screams. And they put it down to a background noise and they were actually in the basement. Wow. Uh, there was porno films. Again, this is the other thing, snuff films, porn films and snuff films. You see this all the time. The British um, uh, criminal justice establishment always, always deny the existence of snuff films. It's a total lie. Uh, There is evidence from the the Belgium and the Dutch authorities that have been snuff films that have been seized, which have not only come from the UK, but also ones made abroad with UK children. And you know, so this is what we call now trafficking. It's been going on a long, long time. We have seen this come out in the, the inquiries, the government inquiries, which I'd like to talk about if I may. I've um, been a, what, one of the very few national core participants in the government's uh, independent investigations of child sexual abuse. Um, I was given evidence alongside a guy who spoke out against, which we saw on Sky News um, only yesterday, uh, and how you know what he endured not just in the abuse, but also afterwards, in an attempt to silence him by the establishment, you know. Um, and again, we spoke about this in other podcasts with, 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 with PIE, the information exchange and things like that. These are all factual things, things that they can't take away from us. And this is, you're right in what you say, things that are supposition, you know, they can be attacked. But when it's concrete, they don't like it. So this is why I say to people, you need to speak up you need to go through the process because it's public domain once it's public domain you're on solid ground you know i've just finished a civil case against the metropolitan police and i spoke out openly and candidly about how they threatened to silence me that's a matter of public record i was threatened you know in an attempt to silence me by a chief officer in the police i called out i called out um, th- there's a woman i would really like to mention her name but i won't because i actually had a lot of respect for her in the police she was a very good woman, um, but she gave a statement, and I called her a liar, and I called, sent it to court. Her statement is full of lies. She's now quite high up, and she is a trustee of a charity. So I don't want to bring any badness on that charity because they help kids. So I, I don't want to do that. But w- what I like to say, if she she knows who she is. If you watch it, you have no understanding the damage you've done by lying. You know, you're a good woman. You shouldn't have lied. I expect it off the hierarchy because they sell their soul. But good people, please don't lie. Don't lie, you're better than that. And it, it, it stops uh, victims, vulnerable people, from ever getting justice when you lie. Please keep the lies away. Um, but Mark Dutro, they tried to suppress this, and Corrine, she profiled him perfectly. Right, Had they listened to her, two lives would have been saved. Two lives. There was an attempt on Corrine's life because of what she knew about someone very high up. Again, we can't go into that. Um, and then, um, for some reason, what the cover-up had been leaked and it got out. And the um, Belgium fire service now, Brussels is is an, Belgium's an industrial city anyway. Belgium's quite an angry place because it's um, it's always been divided, conquered, and very split country between the Flemish north and, and the French-speaking south and. They're not the happiest of people. I don't want to denigrate the Belgians, but, you know, they they (laughs) do. Because they've always been pushed and pulled. They've got, like, an elastic border, you know, and it's, um, you know, a lot of of death has gone on in that country, you know. The First World War, the trenches are are, are littered all over that place. And and it's an industrial uh, area, and it's got quite a bad crime rate. And um, I think Brussels, I don't know how big the population of Brussels is, but if you take those social demographics, it's not too dissimilar to London. Um, And a million people took to the streets, a million people. They tried to keep it down. The fire service turned up with their fire engines and they blew the windows out of the parliamentary building. And then the farmers turned up with their tractors, with their shite flingers, and they, they splattered the building. With shit. Yep, and they said this place needs to be cleaned, and that's why the fire service blew the windows out. And a million people, and they tried to push it down, and then they pushed the numbers down and down again, and I think that the official estimate is 500,000. But again, for a small country, that is an incredible amount of people, but the, you know, the, the realistic um, estimate was, was a million. Uh, now, Kareem was part of that machine I met uh, Corrine um, uh, when I gave evidence at a tribunal and we sort of connected through that and, and an incredibly wise woman and she contacted me the other day she contacted me about a week ago and she said look watch the news something big's going to come out in France involving a police detective now we are being saturated at the moment about stories of police malpractice, uh, misogyny and um cover-ups you know really um and who better to sort of voice their opinion on it than me you know Uh, and so we we, we've just had a story in the uk of wayne cousins the diplomatic protection officer who's um you know what he's done is he's he's abducted and he's raped murdered a woman and then he's he's gone to extreme lengths to dispose of her corpse and then carry on with his life now quite funny because He was caught exposing himself a few days before and Corrine said to me, be very, very dubious of flashes. And years ago, anyone was sort of brought up around the 70s and 80s. There's always reports of flashing and...
2: People who run on like soccer pitches, would not they, and flash? Yeah,
3: your flash and, and streakers, yeah, and streakers, flashes. streakers. Yeah,
2: not people coming out of bushes in parks.
3: That's what we're on about. You yeah, know, the, yeah. the, the dirty Mac sort of, yeah. room, you know. And it was always depicted in like Benny Hill show and and the nineteen seventies comedy, you know. Yeah. And she said they they are people that are so opportunistic, and the the only thing that stops them from taking it further is that that reality and that opportunity, right? And when it presents itself, they will abduct. They will murder. So you're getting this what was seen as a, a, just a, a, a nonsensical, sort of very weak-minded, um, minor-level act of sort of perverse stupidity. Well, actually, no. The, the underlying factor here is something of extreme malevolence. You now, a couple of days before Wayne Cousins, um, you know, abducted that that poor girl, Sarah Everard he had exposed himself and he'd been caught driving naked. And there was this extreme history of weirdness throughout his...
1: Um... Was that reported in the papers?
3: Um, yeah, yeah, it has come out, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, he, he, he'd been caught, um, I think this was post-trial that that come out. Pre-trial it come out that he was in a McDonald's getting his penis out. Um, and then post-trial it come out that he'd, he'd been caught driving like from bottom down naked um and things like that and she said look people that do that they have the opportunity to kill they're very highly dangerous and it is just really when it presents itself they will take it um and she said look i'm dealing with something in france so similar she said please just just watch this space well of course it came out in the in the sort of international press now there was a parisian detective who'd um abducted and murdered not 100 percent Certain so, on, on the full ins and outs of it, um, I'm just going through a documentary at the moment that that has covered it. I think it went back from 2003, and they filmed Kareen from 2003 on this case, and she said straight away, um, "It's a detective, it's a police detective." That was a profile. How accurate was she? Because what happened was, um, she has been quite inspirational in how. I'm, I'm now operating today, which I'll go on to shortly, and how this has evolved. And I've used my tradecraft and that of other professionals to start being a viable alternative to serious criminal investigations where there is a massive failing in this country, a consistent failing. You know, considering that we've mentioned this in many podcasts that really the police are just picking low-hanging fruit. That's all they're doing. They're sending four or five police officers at four in the morning round to someone's house because there's been a facebook post you know Uh, i mean four in the morning i heard of it the other day because someone put a post on facebook you know it's unreasonable there's no need for it things like that can be dealt with by a summons it doesn't need to be brought in under you know can you
1: repeat the post
3: um yeah i i don't know what it was it was probably
2: not because if that's a crime then we will be republishing the crime
3: again and and if you look at what what happened with you more recently as well it's it's just it's ludicrous this isn't what the people are are paying for now she works in conjunction corinne with with a cadaver dog handler a really lovely guy um called patrick Uh, and you know i've had quite a lot of communication with patrick and this guy um he said to me my dogs will find bodies up to 50 years old in the ground it's like wow, you know. Um, he said, "If if they're there, we'll find them." And he said, "We we've, we've been finding bodies in from the Bosnian War, even going back to the Second World War. we you know, it's mass graves." And so these two went out and they started finding corpses. So how the authorities never found them, God only knows. But they did, and how the bodies were tied up and everything else. She said straight away, "This is a man, a policeman that's done this." And due to other sort of background information, crime scene information, she's deduced straight away it's a detective. He's used his status as a detective to coerce, similar to Wayne Cousins, very similar, you know, um, to get girls into his car, and then he's gone on to to do whatever and murder them. But he's gone on through through years and years and years. Now, of course, they never they never took it up. But so what she's done is. She's taken the matter further and it's ended up going before a magistrate. Now, in the UK, we've got a common law system. We've got a brilliant legal system. And this is is a tragedy, you know, and the shame of all this, that we've got such a good system if it's implemented. We don't need any more new laws. Common law covers harm, loss and nuisance. And that's all you need to know, right? Harm, loss and nuisance. And it's perfect. And there is an assumption of innocence with us, right? you know, uh, presumption of innocence. And it's down to those that are, you know, an accusatorial system, down to them to do all the work, beyond a reasonable doubt, which is like 99%, whatever it, you, you can sort of... So they've got to do their work, and when they do it, on the whole, it's a very thorough job. I know there are um, anomalies that occur, but on the whole, if someone is found guilty, there's a good chance they've done it, you know. There are cases when people are stitched up, um, and I'm fully aware of that. Um, anyway, abroad is different. It's Napoleonic, right? So they accuse you. It's down to you to say you, you didn't do it, which is a lot more difficult, you know. And that's why they can never combine the British judiciary under European law. With, with law. It, the two things don't match. They don't. Um, so a, abroad, the, the magistrate will coordinate it, which I think isn't too bad a thing because. I think our policing needs independent adjudication. Police should never be allowed to adjudicate each other. A complaint, it's really strange because um, when I took my complaint initially to the Met Police, of course, I might as well have gone out there and told a squirrel for the difference it made. You know, it was pointless. But I went to the, it used to be the IPCC, the Independent um, Police Complaints Commission, and they didn't do anything um they said we'll look into it and 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 it just it didn't and when i asked for you know and anyone who who makes a complaint or is a victim of a crime you should be getting a 28-day meaningful update if you don't they're they're breaching their own standards okay and you should push that further um when i pushed it they said don't ever write to us again mr wedger if we get another letter from you we're not opening it and actually put it in writing (laughs) So then the government said, oh, we're going to change and we're going to go to this new governing body called the IOPC, the Independent Office of Police Complaints. So I thought, right, we'll write to them. Well, they're in the same building, right, in Sale in Manchester. They've got the same postcode and they've got the same telephone numbers. And lo and behold, they've got the same staff. know, <laughs> <laughs> So they've really done a good effort and they are totally changing it. And, and we buy this crap, you know? And how much money have they spent on all the livery and all the, the stationing and everything else? So anyway, going back to Queen, she's gone to the magistrate. So this magistrate's ordered that 700 detectives within this policing jurisdiction are to be DNA tested, right? So they said, no, this is what I want. So um, it got ordered by the magistrate. Well, the other week, one of them, he goes on holiday. He's like, well, oh, and and King said, I've told you from the start. Go get this man. It's this man. Again, they didn't listen. Um, he was found, I'm uh, not too sure. I believe he was hanging. I'm not too sure. But um, he's dead. He's committed suicide. And he's fully admitted to every single murder, nine of them. You know? And I think in the early days, it was only a couple. Had they listened, do, do you know what I mean? They could have. And again, it's this reluctance. We, we, we've we seen it. There's a programme on the telly at the moment um, regarding Colin Stagg, you know, that was accused of the Rachel Nickel murder, you know. Um, I remember back in the time, because I was working in South East London, that a lady called Samantha Blissett was murdered and her daughter was murdered. Um, so uh, this guy, his name was Robert Napper. What Robert Napper had done, he'd, he'd, he'd picked her out of a Lonely Hearts thing and gone round her and he'd murdered her and he'd murdered her. her Infant daughter, but I, I can't tell you because the information I got from one of the officers on the scene was what he did to the daughter was just um, beyond, yeah, beyond, you know, he'd, he'd actually butchered um, the thing. But he'd actually gone to the local police at Plumstead where I was working and said, I've done something really bad to a woman. And um, I think he got nicked for that, but prior to that, he'd killed Rachel Nickel and he said, I've done another one. I've done another woman. And his mum even went to the police and said, you need to look at another woman who's been murdered because my son's. I think, he's done it. And they they didn't. And I can always remember the court um, press release after Colin Stagg was convicted. No, he was convicted and he was acquitted. He he took him on an appeal and he won his appeal. And it was the DCI, the Detective Chief Inspector, turned around and said, well, we will never be looking for another suspect. So there was that adamant stroke arrogant, you know. They get entrenched into this mindset. Now, sometimes that is down to institutional arrogance, you know, ego and everything else. But also sometimes they're lent on. And you can never rule that out. And especially when you're you're dealing with crimes, which start then involving members of the judiciary, members of parliament, there's a lever. And I can always remember saying to... Um, a guy that was a, a big source of information, a whistleblower. Um, he was um, a, a very senior social worker. Um, and I said to him, why Why do um, the National Archives and the intelligence services, why do they keep records, you know, like this? I said, because in the police, and I remember this, there used to be called a thing called a midnight barbecue. And a midnight barbecue was any paperwork that... Didn't need to go anywhere. It, be in
1: the Bernie bin.
3: Yeah, it sort of accidentally got incinerated, along with custody records. Um, there used to be another the booking in sheet that would go, and, and they would have a thing called a midnight barbecue. You know, uh, and tapes. I can always remember saying to I can always remember saying to um, uh, a sergeant once, well, why 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 would they burn tapes? He went, if you found them in a bin, they'll end up in a landfill site. Everything's got to be burnt. Now, I'm not saying it was a regular practice, but it went on. It went on. You know, computer records are different, you know, there's, but again, they can go missing as well, you know. There's um, a guy that we're looking at at the moment, um, his whole prison record's gone missing. He just doesn't exist. Yet yeah, he's in prison for, for murder of a child, and his prison record's gone missing. So, so the, these things do go on, you know. Um, uh, so we can't be that naive to see they don't. And we, we're seeing this now with, with government inquiries. And it's the same consistent outcome. And it is cover-ups and lies. And it always in sort of like the police's side of thing. The social services have done the same. And it's a need to get rid of bad news. And the reason that the intelligence services don't do it is because it has blackmail value. And that's what I was told Again, I'm not pointing any fingers or anything like that. I said, we want this to, to, to have legs and continue to be broadcast. So that's our reason why I could spout names all day long. And I've been no heavily one criticised. One <laughs> I've been heavily criticised from the word go John Wedge is a, a whistleblower with no whistle, he never names names. Well, the moment you do, that's it, you're finished, you know. Um, uh, but these people can be used at a later stage, you know. They can, and the intelligence services, you know, this is how they work. So... Um, what, what, what has happened then is, uh, um, I started off, as you know, uh, left the police and thought, well, what am I going to do? And I decided to give a voice to the voiceless. So I went out there and I spoke to survivors of abuse and I podcasted with them. And then that sort of mushroomed, it just, it just went crazy. I couldn't believe it. But again, I was ill-equipped to deal with it because there was a lot of people that had chronic mental health problems. You know, when when someone has been abused in their childhood, there's always an audit trail of damage, you know. And a lot of them, they will take it to their grave. You know, there isn't the support for them. 80% of the prison system has come from terrible, terrible childhood background. The prison system does absolutely nothing to take... I mean, I'm no social scientist, but I've become a very you know adapt really uh, understanding that this is a really chronically failing system a sixth of the, of the budget our gross income budget goes on criminal justice and it does not work and i gave an analogy once and i said to someone if if i was a building contractor and then i was to say to you look you want an extension built in your house so i'm going to get you a builder that builder charges £450 an hour, right? And they'll even charge you for invoices and for emails and for estimates, right? Which is exactly what a solicitor does, right? And it's unquestioned, right? And I said, but bear in mind, 80% of all buildings that this person puts up instantly falls down, right? (laughs) You're going to say, get F F off. You know... But it's the same with the criminal justice system. Sex offenders, the average offending time on release, right? Because the majority of it is is pornography and and stuff like that. The average offending time for 90% of them is four hours. Four hours. It don't work. It's, It's just crazy. And then when we get sex offenders, a lot of them have come from abuse. There has to be another way of dealing with this. If only to stop other victims being made, you know, I can get people say, why should we put effort into sex offenders? I get that. But let's understand their MO, their thinking, but you're dealing with very, very deceptive people. You know, these are snakes and they will get under your skin. And one of the things, one of the golden rules is you don't tell them about yourself because they will instantly use that against you. I've interviewed so many in the past and there was three things they used to always do. They used to cry, lie and deny, cry, lie and deny. They would always be crying and, oh, you know, and and then they'd lie. Well, their whole life is a lie. And then denying it. Oh no! Trying no, 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 no. every yeah. textbook Everything. manipulation. But crying. Yeah. But crying. That was always, you know, a, a sign of, of like the narcissistic traits that come into it. So, um, so I, I, I did the, the podcasting thing, and then of course, like yourself, Sean, I got in, into the valley of trolls, and I, I, I just, I mean, now looking back on it, like someone said to me, there's only one way to deal with narcissist, and that's run you know really yeah don't engage with them just get out get away from block, them block 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 block, block. that's it do not engage with them and i say this now to any uh, because we're getting a lot of ex-criminals going into podcasting which i think is a cracking idea i do but i'm telling you what if you've got this penchant for a little bit of anger and all that be very careful because you can lose your rag very easy and, and end up deplatformed and nicked You know, if anyone calls you trouble, just block them, get rid of them. Don't engage with them. You don't need to. There's a lot of jealousy out there. There's a lot of narcissism. There's a lot of hatred. And haters like to hate, you know?
2: All these ex-criminal podcasters are warring against each other now.
3: Yeah, and and how long before someone gets killed? You know, or badly hurt, you know? Um, I mean, again, I started working with a lot of ex-criminals. And I've never had a bad experience with any of them. And some have gone on to become very close friends, you know, um, and, and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, the main one is, is Chris Lambriano. I mean, I look at him now like an uncle. I mean, what, a, what an incredible man, you know, 82 years old, still out there campaigning to to protect children, you know, put him right, what he put wrong, um, and I, one up-and-coming one, I said to him, the key word's redemption here. Don't promote crime. Do the redemption thing. We can all work together here. Now, this is this is the, the, the crux of why I've come on here.
2: Let me just tell the viewers: if you want to watch our podcast with Chris Lambriano and John Wedger, it is still standing. It's on the true crime podcast playlist. It was not removed during the great deplatforming.
1: <laughs> the great deplatforming. <laughs>
3: do, do you know something was really interesting? If I just digress slightly, I, I was with um, Chris and a few through other ex criminals. Um, uh, giving a talk, or raised some money for them, raised a few thousand pounds for their knife crime charity. And he was giving a talk in, in the East End of London to um, families um, of of knife victims who've died, right? Um, it, predominantly a, a, a black crowd, you know, um, a lot of mothers there that have lost their their children through, through knife crime. And Chris turned around to them and said, look, you know, John's here, he's an ex-policeman and all that. What would you want the police to do? And how this differs from the official narrative. Every single parent said, more stop and search. Every single one said, if they stopped and searched the kids, my son would be alive today. Mm -hmm. And I found, honestly, I nearly fell off my chair. I said to one woman, seriously. And, And there was the big like raster lad there, he went, yeah, man, he said, more stop and search. So when the government come out with this, stop and search, stop and search, I'm telling you what, it's an inconvenience for you because it's saving lives, stop and search, and this is what we got out of it, you know? Um, so it shows how imbalanced sometimes when they do these, these opinion polls, they are, right? Um, so if we could just cover, before I go on to what I'm doing now, if we could just cover this Wayne Cousins things because yeah, this, this is yeah. this is really interesting, because this, this clearly was a dangerous man. Um, would he have gone on to commit, other mergers i think yeah definitely 100 yeah. percent. you know um uh, you know he's a dog with a taste for blood now and he's seen how it works um had he done more well we don't know i mean there was a really strange thing when i was investigating and it was the anonymity that tourism gives people right so you'll get people let's <coughs> just stick with men for the time being that will go abroad and what a profiler said to me, I was working with a, a profiler called Joe from Ireland, um, so I, I had that before I met That's so I took a real solid interest in what Corinne's doing because I know it works, <coughs> and it saves a huge amount of uh, money as well, he said it's like hurdles, so a man goes to Thailand and he wants sex with a young prostitute, right, and He's come from a normal sort of background, but he's abroad. No one knows him, right? So he will do it, but it's it's a big deal for him, a big deal. And he'll go back, and there'll be all the guilt, remorse. There'll be a lot of emotion going on in him, and he'll hate himself, but he'll want to do it again. Mm. But this time, that hurdle's got a bit lower, right? And then lower. And in the end, it's so low, he doesn't need to step over it, Right? and that 's how it works, and it 's the same with Wayne Cousins. I think his barriers were going lower and lower lower and and of course this is this is where I need to point the finger, and I do this a lot to to the upper echelons of the of the police uh, that, that isn't me grinding an axe well, it is in one way, I suppose, because um, like anyone who's been hurt by anyone you 'll always have to, you know you know. You, 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 do you know what I mean the same with you with the prison system there'll be things where the prison system you think you know they, what are they doing they're, they're hurting people not helping people but you've got a culture that is incredibly misogynistic now it could be seen as very ladsy and a right bit of laugh when you're there but when you're new to it it's a bit of a shock because the women are what you used to call them geezer birds because they were like that um, women were, were referred, WPC's were referred to as plonks. In the county forces, they called them Doris, Dorises. We called them plonks. I don't know why, but they were called plonks. Um, For like plonkers? I don't know why it was, and they, and they used to say to me, the women in the in the old bill, they're two things. They're either bikes or they're... D- bikes or... D- you know. Um, and when a girl joined, right, what was a custom thing, they'd put her posted to, to the, the front office, right? And every front office had um, a stamp, a station stamp. So it had Metropolitan Police, Peckham Police Station or whatever, with the date and your job, if you was earlier to put the date on it, stamping passports and, 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 and other bits of, you know, official correspondence. So on a night duty, the girl's first night duty, it'd be the job of um, a couple of PCs would be brought in to pick her up, lift her up, and the duty inspector would stamp her bare ass, pull her knickers down, right? Lift her skirt up, pull, it, or pull her trousers down and stamp her bare ass with the station stamp.
1: That's fucking disgusting. And that's what they
3: did. Um, and, and it was, there was, uh, and I'll give you um, uh, a, an anecdote. One guy came up to me and he said, he was in a Scottish force and he transferred down. And uh, he said, one day the, the duty officer comes in and he says to him, right, he said, a woman's going to come in and make a complaint. She's a nutter. Get rid of her, right? Just get rid of her. So anyway, sure enough, this woman comes in, highly distressed, and she said, "I've been raped." So they said, "Well, look, love, you know the, the chance of catching a rapist are really low, and all that." Um, and and they told us to go home and have a shower, right, to wash herself, which is contrary to any sort of evidence uh, capturing procedure, you know. Um, and he said the duty officer came in and went well done for that and the reason he did it he the duty officer had raped her it was a duty officer who raped her i know one guy that was a home beat officer who was going around and teaching women vulnerable women on his home beat thing self-defense um just doing it because he's a kind man and during the self-defense lessons his fingers were going up you know um you know oh um i know one guy who got um a prisoner, a female prisoner, a shoplifter, he was a jailer, he went in there and and got her pregnant. You know, um, and it never went down as rape. Um, every single police station had someone called the rape. Every single police station had someone who had been accused of rape. Every, I, I worked with one guy, he'd stood trial twice for rape. Twice for rape. You know, and got off with it got off with it on every occasion you mainly found that the the as it were came from the very ego driven um uh, units the tsg was there was always a tsg officer standing trial for always uh this guy was from the dpg it stands for diplomatic protection group we used to call them doorways porches and gates they did soddle, They stood there with a gun. They hadn't even nicked themselves shaving these people, I and mean, uh, why are they give a gun? I don't think they've ever. I think one of them shot himself in the foot once, you know. And I think one girl that was on it actually killed herself. Yeah, I think they have more injuries coppers shooting themselves than they do shooting people that they're meant to shoot or whatever. Um, yeah, they're not, but very ego driven. You know, they're not confrontational. They're not. They're they're not coppers in my opinion. And the same as these coppers at work in the airport. So I'm probably going to upset people in saying that, but I'm, I'm beyond that, gone beyond that. They should be doing their job, mate. There's a lot of bad people out there that hurt. And for me, there's nothing more honourable than, than catching someone who's hurting children. And that's it, end of, you know. Mm. I think diplomats, if they take that job, they should police themselves. or all families, should police themselves. I'm not interested. Um, but you, you tend to get them from their units, you know. There was always. Um, um, someone having an affair with someone else at work. There was always couples being shagging in, in police cars. One, one guy, they banned him from, the, from driving police cars because there was so much semen stuck on the dashboard oh. after he'd taken it out on every occasion. He was banned. The inspector went, no, oh, he can't have a car anymore because he was going out and having sex with uh, social workers, other police women, every single night, you know. And, you know... Um, I worked on the Clubs and Vice unit, so I worked on Vice. We had the Obscene Publications squad there and they had a room and they had these cubicles and they had banks of videos and DVD recorders and all they would do, most of the time, apart from proactive operations, they would have to categorise pornography so they watched porn most days, men and women. And basically it was, it, it was um, not frowned upon if anyone was caught wanking in there, let's say that. And every few months, someone would come and disinfect the booze because they knew that that it would, you know, women as well as men, you know. There was one girl, um, when I was on the vice unit, um, someone said to me, I'm not going to mention her name, Uh, have you mentioned, um, uh, met so-and-so, there's something I need to go on about why these things don't get reported. I went, no, she she was a northern girl. Uh, You know, wait till we go for a drink. Very social bunch, right? So anyway i met her one day and she said oh um they're all going for a drink and she said oh do, do you hear what happens when we go for a drink i went no they said something happens with you i don't I, you know and she opened her handbag and she had a pair of knickers in there i said okay what's that she said oh i have to i have to bring them each time you'll see what happens right so we go in a pub in covent garden and there was family sitting there eating and all that and they, everyone gets drunk and then that's it. The next thing, one, one copper puts his hand down the front of her trousers and grabs her knickers. One grabs her down the back of her knickers. They then lift her up and someone times it how long before the knickers rip. And then she gets groped and everything whilst they're doing it. And that happened so often that every time we had a drink she carried a pair of knickers.
1: Did you try and stop it?
3: No, it was everyone clapping and cheering and, you know. And there was people, women and kids eating their food and you know, and it was just like, I mean, there was, there was one, um, one police station where if um, someone's appointed to the CID, it's a big deal. So they would go to the pub at the back of the police station and the pub had, it was an old pub, but it had this metal pole. It was just a support. It wasn't like a pole dancing pub or something, pre them days. And they had this pole. So what, what the new detective had to do was they had to strip naked and see how high up the pole he could climb. And everyone had to do it, strip naked, and you know there was things like that, these things that, that, that just went on um you've got more of a prevalence of lads that have been in the military there was there was they had more of a you know an inkling to do bits and pieces like that um If we move this forward, um a girl I know, a young girl who's a friend of one of my lads. Um her dad no, her granddad actually was, was, was quite a well known police officer. Um uh he he arrested a, a well known murderer, actually, and she always took a liking in, in in the police and even when she was about sixteen she used to say to me, Oh I I wanna join the police, what's it like? So I I got permission one day to take her into work. Um and she's a lovely girl, she's a good, kind girl. Um and she used to do a bit of modelling, she's a very attractive girl, all right. And I used to say to be very careful because they're, they're perverts, you know. And they are like hyenas, you know. And what they would do, especially when we in clubs and vice, when they when they interviewed girls, they would solely be picked on their looks. Solely. I worked with one girl. And she was a black girl. And she said, John, I'm the token black. Because she was my partner. And I went, what do you mean? she said, look at all the others. All blonde young girls, right. And she said, I'm just here to keep their um, diversity figures going you know and, and she, i said well how does that make you feel she said well, what, what can you do you know what can you do um i'll stick with her and then i'll go back to, to to this young girl in a minute and she said to me she said um uh have you heard the rumors about me because they all said be careful of this this black girl she's grief and she was she was just old school i you know she she'd joined very early, I think, in, in maybe the early 80s, maybe late 70s, um, London girl, you know, and um, they all said, be careful what you say. If you say something inappropriate, she'll report you and all that. And and I said, look, I'll be fair, yeah, they said, you know. And I could be... I was never inappropriate with women. I was never, never, ever like that. But I... I, My language could be... I wouldn't say... it. It didn't bother me where anyone was from or what they was, you know. If, anyway, you know, but I, I... I never had any complaints about impropriety, ever, ever. Um, but, you know, people used say, we just said that again and, you know, whatever. So, anyway, so they put this girl with me and um, and she said, uh, you know, I've got a reputation and of being really griefy, but I'm not. She said, I'll tell you what it's about, John. She said, someone got sacked because of me. And I went, OK. She so explain what it is. She said, you know what it's like in this job. And I went, yeah, she said, so when we went out for a drink, you know, blokes will grab my tits and I'll grab them, right? <laughs> right." But we knew each other, she said. And she said a new a new uh, inspector turned up and he just came straight up to me and grabbed my tits the first day in. She said, I don't know this man. So I've kicked off and I've told him, don't ever do that again. And he did it. And she said, you apologise now. You know, who, what do you think you're doing? She said, I knew these other blokes, you know, so it was, whether that's right or wrong, but, uh, and she said, I gave him every chance to apologise and he wouldn't. He thought it was his God given right. And she said, I just thought, this man's dangerous. What if I hadn't been a strong black girl? What if I'd been, you know, a, a weak minded little dolly girl, you know? It, what else would he have done? Um, so she said, I reported him. And he was then given the chance to back down and apologise. And he was so arrogant that he didn't. And he got sacked. And she said, that's why. She said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, yeah, you know. And you know, She was a great girl. We worked together for years, you know. Um, but that's how it was. The old school, they used to give him the opportunity, you know. But th- this, this young girl, I've got to be so careful because I, I always want to say names, but I can't do it. She's um, joined joined the police, she's very proud to have joined it, and she went to um, a very busy um, police station, which I think was probably okay, because the busier they are, the less chance they've got to really sort of have time to muck around, you know. But then um, she brings me up, she'd been in about two years and she's suicidal, right? Heavily depressed, suicidal, she said, I want to leave, I want to leave. Um, I said, what's happened? And her sergeant kept coming into the locker room while she was changing, and and, and, and groping her tits. And I went on. Uh, I said, "You've got a, you've got a complaint." I said, "Listen, I know a good lawyer who's specialising in suing the police. I don't have no nonsense now where they're concerned, you know." I said, I'll write right, let's write to the MP. Let's go and see our MP. Our MP's brilliant. He's former police minister. I said, w- we'll deal with this, you know." Um, let's get the police federation for what they're worth I think they're hopeless but for what they're worth let's get them involved anyway she did, bless her, she started doing it and it'd been witnessed right, it'd been witnessed and this is this is only going back a year or so right, or maybe a bit longer so when you get going on about they're trying to address this let's, let's, let's explain what's going on in this force you know um, and and this is what they brought in they brought in these new like personal liability sort of laws so before it was the commissioner was liable. Now they're, they're rolling the ball downhill, you know. So everyone who come forward and said, yeah, we saw little so-and-so, him doing this. And 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 he's got previous for doing it. So he'd done it to other girls in the past. And um, when they went to the professional standards people, and of course we've seen that, what was that, line of duty? That was a programme about professional standards. We used to call them the duty state squad, right? The duty state squad because out of all the allegations that were ever given to them of proper, proper criminality, all they could ever do was was give people words of advice for falsifying their duty states. They're the most inept, moronic bunch of coppers going. So that program, line of Duty, is the most misrepresented program ever. The Sweeney has got more reality than that, (laughs) you know? And, and, And that's the truth. They are appalling. They don't deal with proper corruption, and they never will. They went every single witness come forward, they then threatened them with discipline for not for not speaking out when they saw the offense happening, so they put it on these poor you know individuals right and ostracize them so every one of them then withdrew their statement, and she was then left and and she become suicidal as a result so so this is it is so appalling, and this is how they they, they just don't address it at all, you know. Um, and again, this isn't me being anti-police or anything else, but you're dealing with an institution with a massive history of, you know, and and there was a lot of victims of crime that, that got sexually assaulted. Um, there was one guy, I, th- I think he actually did get sacked, and he, he went round and he, he was a victim of a crime who had special needs. Oh,
1: wow.
3: Special needs, you know. And he had something like a year left, you know. And you went, I mean, what's going through these people's minds, you know? Um, And, you know, again, they used to park up the vans outside nightclubs back in the early days, giving giving the girls a lift home. uh, I think some coppers in Guildford got in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah. And there was one TSG unit. They picked two girls up. um, And the girls, I think, were into porn or prostitutes or something like that. They ended up making a porno film in the back of the um, police van. Do
1: you know if it ever got online? Yeah,
3: it did. It I didn't get online, but it, it got it got in the, the the newspaper. It was just around the corner from Euston Station in about 2002, something like that. They actually made a porn film in the back of the, you know, and of course then that, that sort of leaked out. I don't think it was a girl, was it, that it got passed around somewhere and then, you know, um, but they was always doing it, always doing it. I mean, I've had one woman come to me and she would be picked up from school by two detectives, taken to a pub in Cornwall, and just raped by, by the pub, and then dropped back, and she was in uniform, you know, and where do they go to? She so said, what do we do, you know? So, you know, corruption, they say, you know, it just corrupts absolute, you know, it, it's just you can't have corruption, and um, it, it just needs to be dealt with properly, you know? Um, but so, so what happened was... Um, I got approached, again, there's going to be no names whatsoever here because... Yeah, I want
2: to keep my channel.
3: What, <laughs> what, what I do now is, is I work um, as a single entity, right? And every member of our gang is a single entity. And, and Corrine advised us on this and she said, listen, be linked to a chain. You come in and then when you're not needed, you break away. If you become a group, especially when it's trauma bonded... It always, always breaks, always breaks down. So I um, got approached by some ex-special forces. And again, I don't want to just say it because, you know, it's, it's like the SAS is probably the most oversubscribed regiment in um, in the in the British Army. Everyone's been in the SAS, haven't they, you know? It's like Lambriano said, that um, the night George Cornell got shot in a blind beggar, the blind beggar had more seat in the Wembley stadium, you know, <laughs> so everyone was there, you know? So again, these are genuine lads that have, um, uh, and they've got like a, a, a unit and like a little depot that they, um, they've done some work abroad, um, helping out kids and all that. And they didn't realize the sheer extent. And this is where podcasts like, you know, podcasts like yourself, what I've done and many others are so important, you know? Um, so when you get attacked by the, these vexatious, spiteful individuals, and this is what they are, they're jealous, jealous people, and they prevent victims and survivors speaking out, right? They do a lot of damage, a lot, a lot of damage. Because for healing to take place, people need justice. And one of the things they need to do is to speak, give them the voice. And these podcasts give the voice. And uh, I mean, you've only got to listen to, to the testimony of Darren Jeffries, you know, I mean, probably the most powerful um, podcast, you know, I mean, I interviewed him, you interviewed him over a couple of periods and, and it saved him. And he said, he said, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't done it, you know, and what that guy's been through. So um, it it really means a lot. So these guys started watching these podcasts. So they they get in touch with me and say, look, can you come and see me? So I go down with um, a member of my, my team Again, ex-forces, getting a lot of interest from the ex-forces. And um, again, we've got to be careful here because we can't be seen as being subversive. But I think the British government, I know I know the intelligence services watch these videos. I know for a fact that they do, and I'd like to to embellish that a bit more in a minute, you know, how I know that. Um, they need to take note that, that there are some very, very well-equipped well-skilled, well-meaning individuals that have had enough of injustice, they've had enough of what they've seen of cover-ups, you know, um, the low-hanging fruit being picked when the real perverts, because of their position of privilege or power, are getting away with it, and the victims are the most vulnerable, you know?
2: Before we start the podcast, a word from our sponsor. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with the MS-13 in El Salvador? Or how the Russian Mafia came to Brooklyn in the 1990s. Or why some Swedish gang members love to throw grenades. If you've enjoyed my stories of hanging out with the New Mexican Mafia, cartel members, Italian Mafia, you will love The Underworld Podcast. It's a show about organised crime all over the world, from the first gang lords to the current kingpins. Hosts Danny Gold and Sean Williams are investigative journalists who've worked all across the globe covering the most insane crime stories, from interviewing cult gangs in Nigeria to chasing meth barons through the Burmese jungle and way, way more, mixing in thorough research and some of the best gangster history in recent memory. They're bringing you a new episode every week. We're talking Taliban, triads, warlords, drug lords and scammers from Brooklyn to Beijing and far beyond. If you want to dive deep into the criminal underworld with two journalists who have reported on it all over, give it a listen. The Underworld Podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The link will be in the description box below this video.
3: I'm... I'm always say this, I, I'm not here for an adult, I'm not here to placate adults, I don't care if I insult or upset an adult, you've got shoulders, use them, but I, the children haven't, they need protecting, you know, at all single levels. So he said, John, we, we never realised the sheer extent of all this, what do we do about it? And I said, well, we need to really become some sort of viable alternative. And... uh and they, they said, "Well, look, leave it with us." So at the same time, I got contacted by a, by a family um, whose um, children went missing many years ago. Um, one was one was their child, one was their 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 sons um, and brother's friend. Little boys of eleven and twelve went missing, never seen
2: again. Where were they when they went missing? It was in the
3: West Midlands.
2: Yeah. Were they were they like going to school or something? They, they
3: were out. Um, just out playing, you know. There were a couple of kids that were always on the street, you know. Uh, One had been given a bike for Christmas, and it was Boxing Day, 1996, and never seen again, you know. Um, There was a guy that was arrested, as he was the main suspect. This guy subsequently went away for murder of another child, not even a couple of miles away from where we are now. And um, there was a police investigation that went nowhere. Um, the Guy did do time, but it was only because Surrey police caught him, not the West Midlands police Force you know and um, there was a there was uh, an anniversary investigation a decade later in two thousand and six, which again went nowhere, and the family were so disgruntled, so disgruntled with the police, and they got some credible information that that um the main suspect was seen burying something around circa 1996 in this waste ground woodland type area um, in the west midlands so he told the police the police did nothing So what they did was say, right, well, they're not going to do anything, we're doing it. So they went down there and dug it up. Did they find him? No, unfortunately, but they carried on. So they raised money and people said power to them. So they went on the telly and said, look, the police don't do it, we're doing it. And they've got this collective and this community built up. And it ended up like, um, like a commune. And they were working almost 24 hours a day digging this this wasteland up with mini diggers um they were doing a fantastic job they were uncovering a lot of old artifacts There was a lot of children's clothing um there was bits of bone there was there was things that 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 were conducive to, to to the crime you know but again the police never went and and helped them never offered any assistance and there was a lot of weirdness going on in the wooded areas there was people turning up and photographing them and in the woods, and it was a very, very strange environment. And uh, so they, they contacted me and just said, look, you know, we've seen you, and we've heard about what you've done, if there's anything you can do. So I went back to the to these ex-Special Forces guys and said, look, if you want to help, help is something. So they said, right, arrange a meeting tomorrow. We'll be there. So I said to family, can we come down tomorrow? So I took... Um, my little team, you know, all the volunteers, and then the X Forces guys turned up. You know, the you know the X Special Forces guys turned up, and they turned up with this incredible individual who's got ground penetrating radar. He's printed off maps, but he's he's got access to satellites. He's gone back to the to the time when it happened. You know, he knew all about the topography of the land, everything, and off we went descending and, and he said Look, I've got forensic capabilities I can actually um, take this stuff and process it so um, he cracked on doing that hundreds and hundreds of exhibits um, we got um, the military guys started doing uh, field craft and going in there and trying to identify um, burial sites things like that Kareen um, got involved and went right I'm gonna profile this murderer so this suspect Did an incredible job um, to quite a frightening degree. And she said, um, You know, there's many more, many more. you're, You're talking a lot. Now, West Midlands police have said that this guy could be responsible for as many as 25 missing children. When we held them to it, personally held them to it, they denied it. They said that was a misrepresentation by the national media. The national media have tried to liaise with them and They've just been met with arrogance. We liaised with them and we were met again with arrogance. This is ongoing, so we've got to be careful. So, what? So, we've got now Corinne doing the profile, and Queen said, Right, I'm going to get Cadaver Dog over to you. But this guy uh, has found bodies in graveyards all around the world Bosnia, he's been out to, uh, you know, the som still and everywhere. He's been all around the world, this guy. Um. And he couldn't take him over because of the COVID regulations, right? Abandonment. And he said, it's going to... all doing it for free. Everyone's doing it for free, right? Um, and, and one guy's saying my, my fee would be 1,500 quid a day, you know? Um, but boom. So we all do it for free. So I said, right, well, let me do my thing. Give me a list of all the witnesses that you know of. I'm going to visit them. So I started visiting them, right? And I started doing statements. Now, I've seen... It was my thing doing statements, and I've seen how police do statements now. There, there's, there's a horrific statistic that in 2025, the average service of, of 90% of the Metropolitan Police will be five years. Five years. So we are in five years' time, or four years' time, the, the, the population of London are going to be policed to a 95% degree by basically students' with with five years with no tradecraft because they haven't recruited people have left people have had enough there's no skill I mean how could you do how could you set up you know 95% of all buildings built by lads just out of college you couldn't do it And, and, and this is the dire, dire state and I have seen statements now done by young coppers and they're appalling you know and some of them are done in jargon you know with street speech in it. And you're thinking, really? Absolutely appalling. Um, and no detail, you know. It's all the devil is in the detail. So um, I I got in touch with one guy. And he said, I went to the police. And I said, well, what happened? He said, they told me to F off. And this lad had met these kids on the day they went missing. And he said, um, they're, they're in this, this woods, a different woods to where they're digging, but only the other side, right? So he said, um, no, they were in there. They I met them a couple of days before, and they told me that, that, that they're digging a hole to Australia with a man, right? He went, okay. He said, it's, it's in these woods. And he said, and I went past an hour later, and I saw him with a man. And um, he then later on said, years later, um, he was in a job centre, and he was talking to someone, and this man come in. And this man was talking to the guy he's talking to. They we were having a conversation, ex parte to him, didn't want him involved. And when this guy left, the fellow he was originally talking to said I was in I was in prison with them. and he's admitted to taking them, them two missing boys. I was like, Do the police know about this? He went, Well I tried to tell him, they told me to f off. I went, so you've got first hand information that and he's identified this guy and, and I've supplied the name. Um and then we go down to, to the wooded area, but the the, the, the train, the high-speed training company, have taken over the land, and they wouldn't let us on. They said, no, you're not coming on. But a couple of the guards said, I know you, I've seen your... Uh... So I contacted them, and said, yeah, yeah, it's not a problem, we'll have you on. Again, I've got to be careful now, because this may come out as a, as, a, as a civil suit later against maybe the police, maybe this, but the long and short of it is they initially allowed us on there to... to to search the land with radar kicked you off and then they wouldn't and then the politicians got involved so i took it to politics to the political level we got a, a former chief constable said i want to help you we got a well-known um senior detective who does a lot of tv now he, he come on board said i want to help as well so they all started saying we want to <coughs> help um and then this, not, not, not Peter Blacksley no not him no, not him not him An- another guy that's on a lot of TV and he said look I'm, I'm with you he, he said what do you need I said look we need cadaver dogs we can't get any because we've got one in Belgium and the, the police don't have any um, he went contact this guy a military guy and this military guy said I know this case um, I'm with you I'll, I'll be with you and he said um, I'll bring as many dogs as I can let's get on there I said, well, can you narrow it down? I said, yeah, we've got the radar guys. We can be in and out in a couple of days. and uh, But they're about to excavate the land, you see. So now if they excavate the land, we lose it. And I'm saying, look, please, just let us on. So we meet with the police. And I said, look, this statement is so credible. You know, and uh, bear in mind, I've worked on cold case files. You know, um, I know the score. I know the burden of proof to get in a warrant. You know, when it's to deal with sex crime and children, you could get a warrant, and even a rumour, it would give you the warrant. I said, can't you come and declare this a crime scene and bring some Calaver Dogs, and we'll go down as a group and we'll search it? No, no. And he, honestly, I don't want to, at this stage, mock the guy, but he may have his... You know, he needs his right to reply, but if... This this comes off then then there needs to be a public inquiry and this guy needs to be held accountable for his absolute reluctance to do anything and and it was just his arguments were just ludicrous it was so fundamentally flawed um, and and he just basically said I'm not helping you and I said right and of course this lot won't help us so we would take it to Parliament so one MP speaks to the minister for for transport and everything and it all sort of gets agreed. Then I get a call from one of the ministers and the intelligence services have got involved and, and basically been said, stay away from John Wedger. He's a dangerous lunatic. And I'm thinking, why would they get involved? You know, the, 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 the civil servant, what, what, what is it to do with them? That So all of a sudden we are an obstruction. And I'm thinking, if we're getting it as a group of professionals, you know, we, we, had, we had a room. When we went to the meeting, we had... Good ex-military guys who knew field craft to a T. We had one of the best ground penetrating radar geologists. He knew the woodland. He knew everything, right? Amazing what this guy can do. Put drones up, put everything up. Um, You know, again, we were backed up by one of the best FBI profilers. And we've now got the best cadaver dog handlers in the world. You know, and that's what we've had to do and and they still treated us with contempt. And I said, if that's what they do to us, you imagine what they do to a working class family, you know? And they hadn't even gone and visited the family, you know, on the dig site, they hadn't bothered. They'd sent no encouragement, no support, nothing. They hadn't even visited um, for over a decade, the guy that, that's in prison. And not only that, the next wood along from here, a lad was found at the same time hanging Right? Hang in. Um Dead, been there for a few days, his corpse was starting to decompose. Uh this lad was a little bit what we might call special now, you know, about denigrating him. That you know, again he had learning issues, I think. He was a happy go lucky kind kid. He was miles away from home. Um he'd just been to the bank that morning and put some little pennies in his little kiddie's savings account. Sweet little boy, you know. So he's got a projection for the future. This isn't a kid that's got anything other than wanting to live. You know, he loved his mum, he loved his dad, and he liked going out on his little bike. He was found with a knot round his neck, so sophisticated, right? Um, And it was identified by a knot expert. This is a military knot, right? A maritime military knot. Well, the the main suspect is an ex-Royal Marine, right? Who'd... Been done for kidnapped boys in the past he was a suspect now for for multiple murders boom 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 and that do you know do you know what west midlands police said Come on. suicide suicide oh. suicide
2: why would they say that's so, just so there's no work for them because it's not a priority i
3: mean this is what we're dealing with this is what we are dealing with it's just unbelievable so y- you know and again they really gave us a hard time um so we said right we're doing so again now we've got you know the the, the the civil service have got now intervening trying to block us we don't know why we've got chief constable pushing for us to get on there. former chief constable we've got um mps so i i, I take it to um a member of the privy council who takes it up to the deputy prime minister he gets involved Lo and behold, within minutes, we're given access. Whoa. Right, given access, within minutes. So Dominic Rab gets involved, boom, we're on there. Right, uh, so we're now on there. Um, the security firm, police don't want to know, but they're, they're in constant info volley with the police because the police want to know exactly what we're doing. They can't be bothered to do it. You know, they could have put a cadaver dog... We're paying money for this this is their job, you know? And it's like us collecting our own bins and then paying a bin man to do nothing. And then we get arrested for having to go to the bin man for not doing the bins and we've taken the bins out. And this is it's just ridiculous. pure madness. And you've got a family there that have lost their kid. You can't get any higher stakes than this, you know? Um, and, and you know, I've spoken to quite a few witnesses now that have got good information, good stuff to bring to the table. And they were told, F off, go away, go away, go away. So we've now surveyed it, the dogs are going on, um, and we'll wait and see, you know. it might We might not get anything, but this is what we should be doing. Then let's look, right, because what, what this senior officer said to me, well, if we do it for you, we've got to do it for everyone. And I thought, well, well firstly, that's insulting because we're professionals and we are not turning up saying, oh, search here. Now can you search here No. You know, we're not asking that. And that was just an unreasonable even thing to say. It's just a ludicrously insulting thing to say. But then if we look at a comparison to the Madeleine McCann investigation and the countries they've been to for that are based on rumours and whims and everything else. They've been to Morocco, they've been to Australia, they've been there, they've been there. They're constantly in Portugal where there is no jurisdiction. The Metropolitan Police are doing it when, when it's a Leicestershire police crime. None of it makes any sense. They spent millions and millions and millions. Yet, this lot, what, we said, even come with us, please come with us. Um, so, this is what you're up against, you know. And, and so, what we're doing now is we're going to try and make ourselves a viable alternative because policing systems may change, right? But the court system and the rules of evidence haven't changed since its inception. Right, so all we've got to do is present old school evidence statements and evidence like it's always been, so the police might have all different systems the cross examine it still doesn't matter. The court will still just want section nine statements and exhibits and witnesses, and that's all they'll ever want, and that's all they're going to get and there's a lot of experts out there now, and whatever it costs an expert to do it, it's going to come in cheaper than what the police are charging the government anyway, you know. Um, and all we would then ask is that the CPS take, take the case on once we've achieved the reasonable standard of a prosecution, you know, which, you know, if you haven't got the evidence, you haven't got it. If you've got it, you've got it. Um, so, so this is where we're at, but we've got, oh, and, and of course we're all individuals and we all, we all link in everything we get, we share with the police. We told them this is what we got. And it's been incredible. It's it, Honestly, what a monumental thing we're doing, you know. Um, and it's, I'm really, really happy, you know, with how it's gone. And, and in addition, again, not naming names, got ex-criminals that I work with now, um, got them introduced um, uh, to, to, to an agency. They're giving talks in schools and in kids' homes, you know, and things like that. Uh, and, and this is a way forward this really is the way forward just what the police should be doing
2: john there's just so many people talking the talk and not doing anything and you're out there making real world changes against this massive bureaucracy
3: i'm I'm doing it i've got my little evening job and my pension right i've never been support Well, well i have actually but i mean i'm you know i'm on my ass but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know and then you've got people like corinne over in belgium doing it her dog and was going to come over at his own expense to do it. I mean, the dog handlers, they're gonna get paid, the ones we've got in the UK, but they've got to because, but they're putting four dogs on. And what the price they're paying is, is so bargain, I mean, it's a pound land of, but they're getting a Rolls Royce service, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and this is all the community getting together, you know? And the family of these poor children, you know, there's members of them that have been in trouble with the police. It's a very, very rough working-class environment, but there's been no reticence or, or animosity towards myself or any of our team, none whatsoever, they, because they just want to be heard. They just want to be...
2: So have you met the parents then?
3: Yeah, but, well, the brothers and the family, yeah, work closely with them. They get updated all the time. Right. Um, they've had run-ins with the police in the past. There's been, you know, the police have turned up there, but for for ridiculous reasons, not to assist, you know, you know to frustrate really and and it, it's wrong this shouldn't be happening we pay for for the police to be doing what they're doing and then they're not doing it you know it's like in the prison service where they're getting other prisoners to go and counsel those who are on suicide watch well you know i mean it's just crazy isn't it you know it's a good it's a good thing but it's wrong as well because there should be professionals doing that piecing together these shattered little minds so they can go out there and be better citizens and get their lives back, which is all they want. They're just hurt, you know? Um, so, you know, that is that is my update, really, and, and since I, I, I met with you last, it's just... And this all started from podcasting, being introduced, and this is a value of what, what we, as a podcast community, are doing. And it is an alternative, it's a brilliant alternative, and, and my message here is, is these are vexatious people and there are groups out there that what they do is they, they transcribe everything
2: I say. Same here, and then they put it all together. Yeah, yeah. They take little bits and put a video out and make it like sound like you're working for the devil. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it says in the
3: Bible. They see a speck of dust in your eye, yet yeah, ignore the log in theirs. And, and, but also what they'll do is they'll go to, to the police and they'll get... The acts and statute, and they say, "Look, John Weatherill has violated this," which is what I know that they've done it with a couple of other people that have um that have been on your podcast and things like that. They've been arrested because they said, "Oh, they mentioned this child's name." They mentioned and
2: they've been it. arrested. I was well. I had to turn myself in to the police station. Yeah, there,
3: there's there's two others that were were brought in for mentioning a name, and and you know. Well, i'm not gonna get arrested am I? no 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 well, yeah, look, look you, you just got, always got to be mindful of what you're doing but yeah. we shouldn't be because we're not the bad guys we're doing a good thing you know what what we're doing is phenomenal and you know now spiteful people just want to shut it down oh haters want to hate yeah haters want to hate. but i have seen people that have been on these podcasts go on now i've got two three brilliant examples that have gone on and i know they save lives I know they do because I've seen the emails. If you hadn't come and spoke to me and given me your time, I'd have committed suicide. I've seen it, and I've had it myself. You know, and um, and again, there's one person he's starting out, so I'm not going to name him, but he's he's been on your show, an ex-arm robber, and um, the work he's doing is unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, and and I hope he really goes to the top.
1: It's a shame you, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, uh, you know, the rest of us in this room know who he is. But he's, again, I don't want to, I don't want him no, no, no. getting the nonsense that I got because it's not fair. But for what? If I've done something wrong, that's okay. Let's address that. But if you're doing good, why would you want to hinder anyone? Anyone ever? Um, doesn't make any sense. And again, with the police, why would they not want to help us? Why would you know the the civil service and the intelligence services? Want to to, to, den- to denigrate me? You know why? For what reason? Well, it just shows that there's probably something going on, very connected. If there are 25 children linked in, then this could well be a big, big thing. But again, this is also sub judice. This still hasn't gone its full distance. This could end up in the court at some point, the Crown Court. Um, and we'll wait and see. But um, if we if we can pull this one off, if we can do this, and we can then. Um, even if the police don't want to prosecute, well, we've got the capabilities. So let's do it. You know, let's crack on.
2: The floodgate will open. Yeah. Earlier on.
3: Floodgate. Can I
2: quickly? Yeah, yeah. Go for that? it. Thank so, you. so earlier on, John. Earlier on, John, you said that um, the procedure is to gather statements and get enough evidence yeah. so that there's a minimum. Threshold. I can't remember how you expressed it exactly. There has to be a minimum threshold of evidence yeah, met. Yeah. What is that threshold?
3: Right. There has to be a reasonable um, prosecution of uh, 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 the reasonable prospect of a prosecution. That's it. All right. Um, and then within that, the, the Crown Court relies, uh, and the magistrates they want beyond reasonable doubt. On a civil matter, it's it's a lot lower. Civil courts aren't nice places to go, and people are always banished about old oh, sue you are sue. They've got no understanding. It's not a nice environment, the civil courts, and it can cost you dearly, right? But we have the crown prosecution. You know, they prosecute for the crown. It doesn't need to be that the police are the um, are, are are the evidence gatherers because we see the water board doing it, we see the gas board doing it. You know, we see um, social services doing it. Um, uh, who else are the big ones that, that sort of always? Um, local authorities always take people to court. So if you go into a listings in a magistrate court you'll see R V so and so, you know, R V Atwood or whatever, which is Regina versus a Crown versus you, but also you might see British Gas versus So and so. Boom. And 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 so um the statements have have to be what they call a section nine statement. So if you look underneath there I think there's the Perjury Act, the Magistrates Courts Act and what it's basically saying is ev- everything i give is, is is true to the best of my knowledge and belief that's what it really means there is a way of taking statements okay um now if if you said to someone because people say i'll do it myself i'm going to represent myself that's a, the, the most craziest thing anyone can do is represent themselves because that yeah. the, that is a minefield you are putting you might as well cover yourself in honey and jump on a hornet's nest you know <laughs> it's crazy now if you took a statement said to someone Look, you tell me what happened and or, or write it down and that'll be your statement. And they said, right, I was in a pub and Jimmy Smith came over and punched Peter Brown in the face. Right. Right, okay, that's good enough. Well, if a police statement will be Jimmy Smith. I, I know Jimmy Smith. I know Jimmy Smith because I went to school with Jimmy Smith, boom boom, boom, bum boom, boom. I described Jimmy Smith as, as five foot ten, proportionate build, boom 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 any marks and scars, any reason to know him, um what was he wearing? Um, I saw Jimmy. What was the daylight? Was there any obstructions in the way? You know, did you have a clear and unobstructed view of Jimmy Smith? And then when it comes down to the punching, and he said Jimmy Smith, he clenched his fist. I could see all, all his all his um, fingers clenched back. He drew his arm back six, six inches. He then, and and it is like bit by bit, slow motion of minutiae detail, absolute incredible amount of detail. So what a civilian might do is like there a police officer that could be five six and if you're dealing with i've taken statements that have been a book have been hundreds of pages you know in one case it was a minimum of 50 pages each statement one was 93 pages a phenomenal amount of information um but again it's a trade craft and then it'll back it up with, with pictures plans then you'd, you'd then go to like uh, maybe like the um, met office and metrological office and get the a statement from them about conditions of the day you know and, and what all the witnesses and not everyone sees the same thing as well you know um, and again if you're taking that evidence you've got to cover statement yourself because are oh, you going to contaminate them what what contact did you have them prior to that and that's what's called non-disclosable material in case you get thrown out for that so you need to keep a note an original contemporaneous note that every time you call me, I write it down. And when I meet you, boom, boom, boom. And you know, this is what we spoke about um, prior to that, especially when it's go to children, because they'll then accuse you of contaminating the evidence, you know. And some people might not be articulate, so they might need, like, a setup like you've got here, cameras. Camera on the person and a camera around. And when you interview people, you, you've got to have a very neutral stance, because you can gesticulate to people and that can cause what they call acquiescence. Mm. Children have a need to please. And leading questions, right? So you can easily lead a question. Now there's there's only four questions you need to ask anyone. Tell me, explain, describe and show. Or non-leading, right? But they will get the most information out. Tell me what happened. So you will get a narrative and in that narrative you're gonna to have to pick out the bits you want to expand on. Well, you say, you spoke about Sean Atwood, explain to me about Sean Atwood, how do you know Sean Atwood? What's he look like, boom, boom, boom. Explain about the venue, describe, show me, draw a map. And it's incredible when you give someone a pen and paper, they come to life, right? Because we think and we dream in objects. You know, years ago, outside a shop, it would be a little symbol outside, symbolism. And because it prompts memory, no one, no one dreams in numbers. You know, it's all in symbols. So when you start drawing, you you, you can take someone right the way back and you, you can see it. Boom, boom, boom. So there's a massive tradecraft in that. And this is where you get very clever barristers. They can't attack the information. They attack the source of the information. Uh, so if you take, bless him, like Darren Jeffries, right? You know, if he was to report the crimes, well, look what they bring up well, you're an armed robber, you've lied in court, you've done, and this is what they do, this is a spiteful thing to do. I'm not a fan of solicitors and barristers. we need them, but uh, I think it's quite a dishonourable trade myself. I've got friends that are them, but they're making money out of people's misery, aren't they? But then they are needed, because there are some that are brilliant at prosecuting sex criminals. So, again, should they be paid the amount of money? No, I don't think so. Anyone who's a professional should be paid a professional's wage. You know, um, but when you get these... and Because you end up paying for justice, you see. So that's one thing we've got to get over that. We've got to find a legal firm that's willing to sort of um, help out with that and, and make connections with the Crown Prosecution. And if we do that, you know, now people don't need to go to police stations years, anymore. Years ago, you would instantly be arrested and you would be put in a police station. Now, a lot of it is done by summons. A lot of interviews are done, what they call Caution Plus Three... You could rent a room somewhere, and then you could have recording equipment, and you can just caution someone. And this is what again, you you get that with local authorities if someone's been fiddling the benefits and things like that, you know, or they've been nicking water or l- nicking electricity, they'll come around and they'll interview them under caution, and then, and they'll piece it together from there. So you don't need, um, and then you've got people that are experts on forensics. Now a lot of, for all forensic means is evidence for court. That's what forensic means: evidence for court. Um, so a lot of the, the forensic experts are civilians, you know. Um, profiling is being a big thing, people watch these CSI programmes and they're taking a huge interest. So these courses are oversubscribed and um, we want to see... Look, I approached the um, Minister for Justice, right, at the time I think it was Buckland, um, it's someone else now. And he said a th- lot like six of the budget, like I mentioned earlier, goes on, on the justice system a justice system that fails 8% of the time, (coughs) there is something like £100 million that the government will put up if you can prove what you're doing works. right if we can use for an example what we've done as a podcast community how many of the people that we've had on that have given their testimonies have gone on to commit crimes none of them absolutely none of them they've gone on to live normal lives and they're part of our community still i still get calls from from anthony i still get calls from from darren uh, you know, all of them. Alan Merritt, we, we talk a lot. You know, Chris Lambriano rings me up and prays with me every couple of weeks. You know, none of them have gone on to reoffend. And if you look people like Terry Ellis, you know, phenomenal amount of work, gone on to help. And and they, the system never changed them. They changed themselves, and they can encourage people. And what they're doing works, to works to such a degree that, it, that, that it, it's tangible and they should start getting the recognition and the funding that these people duly deserve. And, they, and, and this is what you be doing. And that, that's why um, it's so important that you carry on doing what you're doing, you know, and speaking to these victims of crime and everything else, and, and, you know, and the criminals themselves. And it, it's, I, I think it's just the, the best thing that's really happened. The media's not doing it um but it's, and what, again people are saying that two three hour podcasts but what do people do they go to the gym and they listen to it they work and they listen to it i do myself you know i quite regularly listen to some of the stuff i mean i was listening to one with brian cockrell uh, again brian cockrell i've got a lot of time for him He's doing a lot of good work in the northeast you know and, and i get in communication with him every now and then and, and 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 this is what he's doing. And it, it's 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 such a positive thing, and it comes down to that old tribal thing of sitting around a fire talking about your problems, yeah. you know, and, and you know, keep making sure. Fam- My message is one of family. I want people to stay together. I want people to to stay with their children, not to abandon their children, to to be a family, you know, and put the children first before you put your lifestyle first, you know, and and, and you know. People with drug and alcohol issues, you know, that needs addressing. You can't go living that sort of life if you're supporting a drug addiction and alcohol. You can't do it. It ain't going to work. You know, it crashes and it burns. And again, we saw it in the police uh, massive, massive alcohol issues. Shocking, shocking alcohol fuel problems. But um, but yeah, look, any update I get, you know, and um,
1: would you say that caused the most problems then in the police force was alcohol tra- trauma?
3: Trauma trauma um, it's it, it damaged your violence, you know um, when I joined it was a very violent area I went to, and that rubbed off that made me violent. you know most of the prisoners were getting a clump you know um, I, I, I never really saw people brutalised for no reason, right, but if they wanted it, they got it, you know, and some. It was basically, you get the first punch in, because if not, we're going to give it to you. But they never really had a problem with it. You can meet them in a the pub, and it was like, you know. And um, one bought me a, a pint once, and uh, one of my colleagues got slashed across the face. And um, it was a massive fight. It was, went down as the Battle of Lupus Street, it was called. And it was years later, it was in a pub, and this, this bloke brought a pint over and went, do you remember me? I went, no, I said, remember the Battle of Looper Street? I went, oh, yeah, he said. You know, and it was one of his friends, they, they slashed this poor copper's face and it all kicked off. And uh,
2: How did the battle begin?
3: It was over, Um, it was a very, like, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea hooligan area, right? Pimlico, you know? There's a big estate there called the Churchill Gardens and one of the local families, because it's always, it's always a local family. There's always any problem. There's about two local families and it's intergenerational nonsense with them all. And um, I'll tell you what, i'll tell you another one in a minute it's quite amusing one of them booted over a, a, a traffic bollard you know like a keep left sign and they're just put in cctv cameras the first area ever to use it and it was caught up so he sent two coppers down there and so we just booted over a keep left sign you know and of course it kicked off so they start fighting so it's two coppers fighting two drunken blokes then the whole estate descended on them and started filling the coppers in and one of them slashed him. And of course, it, then we all turned up. The cavalry turned up and it, it was just like, it was like two schools fighting. And it was just mental. It was just like, but one, one of them, the funniest one, oh, this was crazy. It was another estate further along. And there was a lad there, he'd come from quite a bad family. And he'd got himself a job with a local council and he got into gardening. And he stayed away from crime. And I love gardening, right? I really like it, you know? My stepdad was really good. Um, my stepdad was, was quite a violent man. Uh, he was a big, tough guy, but he, he just loved gardening. And he got me in it. And I liked it. I liked growing seeds. I got a lot out of it. And this lad it stopped doing crime and he got in the garden, but he got into hanging baskets. Oh, lovely. So he did these beautiful, honestly, they were beautiful hanging baskets. And he put them up all around the estate, right? And he managed to get the council to allow, uh, to fund him to do it. So he turned this shit hole into this like beautiful, like, floral dream. Floral dream. It was lovely, you know? And, and it was so, you know. and seeing this lad that was always nicking motors, all of a sudden doing this, it was like, I was thinking, oh, you know, talking to him and said, well done, well done mate, I'm, you know, good on you. And then what happened? Uh, some kid had gone by and picked one of them up and loved it and I went I said no way you ain't doing You're nicked right I thought that's this is out of order so I grabbed him and he was uh, a kid from a big family so he screams out and his uncle was a big sort of noise on this estate tower block estate (laughs) this is so funny he comes running out and he decides to fill me in right so he throws a punch at me so as he throws a punch I put his nephew's head in the way. He knocks his own nephew out. <laughs> he, he smacks his own nephew in the head and it, it's all gone off. So I'm with some lad, bless him, he only had a year left. And, um, uh, oh, it was, it, it was carnage, right? So it's gone up, is what they call an urgent assistance. And we, we, we had a lad um, a, that joined us from another force. And it's funny enough, they, they kicked him out of, I think, Strathclyde, because he was gay, right? Um, and they said, go go to the Met, they'll have you, we don't want you, right? So he came and and joined us, and um, he was, I wouldn't say he was effeminate, but he was a little bit, you know, sorry, anyway, it it was never an issue with anyone. Anyway, we're we're getting really badly done over, and they've actually turned the police car over, and it's turning into like a mini riot, and he was the first one on scene, right? And bear in mind, they all thought he he was quite an effeminate camp guy, he took out nine blokes. He, he was it was like Zorro, yeah. <laughs> and was, oh, honestly, he was just. I can remember. All I can remember being on the floor and being covered in blood, thinking, "Was I didn't know if I'd been stabbed or anything." But it, 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 he'd, he'd hit two fellas over the head. They'd just brought out the new metal asp He'd asked both of them over the head. They'd landed on top of each other, but on top of me, and all their blood was like flowing down onto me, you know. And, yeah and he was like it was mad but it was all over a hanging basket and it was just how it just kicked off but it was one of the things that it was never really the next day it was you know they went to court and went yeah all right yeah fair enough you know and and that was it no one really made a complaint about it you know but it it can be over the smallest of things but yeah no and it was uh but it's just a mad job you know it's a crazy job that's why i got out of um I didn't like wearing uniform anyway. I never liked it. Um, I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told to be at a certain time at certain place. So you definitely were in the wrong job then. Huge. Yeah. I don't. I, I look back and I think, what was I even doing there? <laughs> what was I doing there? You know, it was just. Uh, you know, I can. I can remember once. Um, it was when I worked with the um, tracking down the paedophiles on the on the rivers
2: and all that, and that got shut down. Canal boats. The canal boats. Yeah, and yeah. we. If you have a scam whereby you have to report your address every so many days. Yeah. So if you've got a canal boat, you just move over That's to the next house. jurisdiction and and it resets the clock. Yeah. Because you just change your address.
3: And you can live forever and not ever get caught. There's some dangerous people living on their boats.
1: My auntie's just bought one. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing is now now it's changed because the waterways British waterways board were really on board with us because they didn't want it either because they before got funded by the government. So they weren't really interested in doing too much because the government gave them so much money. Um, but then they made themselves self-regulating. So like, we don't want this. So they worked really hand in hand with us, you know. And they were they were pretty. And a lot of their patrol officers are ex are ex coppers. Um, but when, you know, it, I was I said it on one before they they got intelligence There was two paedophiles in London living on boats, and they said.
1: That's how they do it? They just live on boats? and
2: yeah, yeah, and they can move about and not get caught. Once they got to the limit of when they have to report their address, they change their address just by moving up the river to a different jurisdiction, which resets the clock. You said. So they don't have to...
3: Yeah, they, get, they had 28 days to register.
1: Is that very popular?
3: Uh, back then it was, because Rosie and Jim had come out. Oh, I love that programme, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, of course, one of the indicators for, for Peter paedophilia back there were dolls, so you could have a Barbie doll... And an action man would indicate we've got girls, we've got boys. Um, Bill and Ben, dolls, we've, we've just found one of them. There was all these little indicators when you dealt with people who were told to look out for, and Rosie and Jim became an indicator, either Rosie or Jim or both. Or they they'd also put the Fleur de Lis badge, you know, like the um, Boy Scouts badge, because that's, if that's anywhere, that's shown as a haven for a Boy Scout, right? So if Aww. a Boy Scout sees that he knows he's in safe hands, look will and putting it there and and there, there was there was one years ago was called it monkey on a stick there was a pedo um a uh, big fat bloke in this wheelchair and he used to have this his walking stick with a monkey on it and he'd pull it out on a bit of string and when a kid went by he'd pull it right and the kids have found it nuts. yeah kids were found it funny but he was just like the child catcher out of the you know tick yeah. tick bang bang and uh, and that we used to call it monkey on a stick. These blokes, uh, oh, you, you'd see them on their little wheelchairs with loads of toys. And of course, the kids were like, "Oh, same thing. It's the same thing. It's a lure. If yeah. you're going fishing, you need a lure." Um, but when when they, they gave me like a month to find two more, I found ninety in a month. It was ridiculous. And one of them had plans on dismembering a child and oh, wow. special needs kids. Oh, it's horrific. Um, and that got shut down. So what they did was they said, look, we're going to we'll give you any job you want. Um, and I wanted the job I wanted. So I moved to the vice unit. But in that interim period, they sent me on this anti-terrorism unit. And we were working with the Special Boat Squadron, um, Marine Tactical Skills. So they taught me abseiling. So all of a sudden I went on abseiling courses. So, you know, going down blocks of flats through windows and all that sort of nonsense. So, But I quite liked it. And then they sent me on um, this other course, and I had to go to a public order school. And they, uh, I mean, I was, I wanted to investigate paedophiles. And, and, and they sent me on another guy and they went, Look, go down to this, this unit, here. um It's all to do with anti terrorism and everything else, you, you'll like it. And the next thing, they, they shoved me in this other lad in this room and chucked a CS gas canister in there. And they gassed us. And then we got scared, go. and they locked the door couldn't get out. And um oh it's horrific. A face was streaming and and I thought, Well what am I doing here? I shouldn't be here. I should be doing what you know uh, sod this. So that's when I end up, you know, going in onto the vice unit and of course then that got covered up and of course the rest is history, you know, that that's a that's a talk in its own right, that one, you know. But um th- there is no one that can tell me that they don't cover the stuff up. I mean I've just If I can just cover the civil case that I was in, I I took the Metropolitan Police um, to to civil court um, for the way they treated me for speaking out, you know. Uh, They they don't just treat um, me that way, you know, the police forces treat anyone who speaks out on contentious matters the same way, they bully them and they do it all the time, they'll probably continue to do it, but the more we we bring it out in the open, the, the more it gets exposure and the more we hold these chief constables accountable, that's why I do have a problem with her. I, I do have a problem because of how I was treated under her command. And and I called her out in court, if, matter of public record, I called her out in court as, 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 as lying about uh, a statement um, in which she said that she never had a meeting with me when she did and and everything else. Um, but my, my, my court case come to a, a a, a good conclusion There was it It wasn't a monetary payout but it was a settlement but it wasn't a monetary settlement um, And but the judge it was really strange because the judge turned around and he, he said to me because um, at one point I, I I got so enraged by their, their barrister I just stood up and walked out and my barrister said where are you going I said I'm going for a fag so I just walked out and I had a cigarette and when I come in my barrister started shouting at me in court saying, Mr. Wedger, you ever do that again? I'm, you know, going to stand down. This is contemptible behaviour. And and he's shouting at me. And uh, the judge said, no, I'll deal with this. This is my court. He said, Mr. Wedger, I have no problem with what you've done. He said, just let me know next time. <laughs> Even give me a little nod and it's not an issue. Off you go. No problem. I said, oh, I was thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. A journalist came up afterwards. He said, he liked you, that judge, you know, Anyway, at the end of the court, he turned around to me and he said, "Miss Wood, I want you to stand up." So I stood up, and he said, "God bless you in all your endeavors. You are a beautiful man for what you do." And he knew it. He knew the police had covered this up. He knew they'd lied. He knew it, and he'd probably dealt with time a good man, a good man, you know, who did the right thing. So the the system has got good people in there. They see the police corruption, they see the police lies, they see the ineptitude, you know. And, you know, they're going the same thing openness, honesty, transparency. My God, Bernard Hogan, how he's always going about it. Really, if only they did have that. Well, there's a lot of them senior officers wouldn't be in a job, you know. There was only one chief constable that, that had integrity, and it's a man called Mike Veal who stood up, spoke out against and what was purported to be doing. Um, and said that there was 33, uh, 33 um, victims, and he said he would have definitely have stood trial if he'd have been, you know, alive under my jurisdiction. And they ruined they ruined him. So they even bully a chief constable. Yeah. And this is a man of total integrity. And the good thing about the the whistleblowers, we we all do still keep in contact. We've seen Maggie Oliver's just won a Lifetime Achievement Award. We've got a man like Lenny Harper, who exposed a kid's home in... in um, Hope de la Guerin, myself, and Maggie were both um, witnesses in the last government hearing. And they're going to use five recommendations of my evidence. Five recommendations are going to be used now, implemented. So it has made a difference, you know. But you've got to endure immense bullying. I mean, there was nine cases I could have gone to prison. You know, they tried to take one of my kids into care. You know, they did some horrific things to me when one of my kids was in intensive care, dying... You know, they stopped paying me. That, oh man. it was just there is, there is not, and this was all this Department of Professional Standards, which is this um, soppy program line of duty. Mm. And a very strange thing, very strange thing. I, I, I want to sort of, um, uh, you know, conclude with this one is that when when I managed to um, to report it as a criminal. Allegation, Right Because the first time I reported it to a senior officer I was actually threatened If I mentioned what was going on I'd lose my home, my job and my children And that was the, the deliberate pimping out of young kids Ages of nine onwards And kids were dying as a result They were dying This was trafficking in London They denied it existed And I had proof it did Right? So I was threatened So I went to a senior officer To say this is massive Thinking I'd get help and I got threatened um, Anyway, so that come out in, in the hearing as well. So, But a few years later, I um, I generally thought that they would take my kids off me. I was a single parent of four children. And um, when I did uh, make a, uh, a criminal allegation to this department of this anti-corruption, Department of Professional Standards, I said something, right? And I said, I want to speak to a senior detective, and it has to be a woman. Yeah right and it has to be a woman it has to be above rank of detective inspector right i'm not talking to no sergeants and i'm not talking to no constables and them. so they then contact me and it's a police constable uniformed police constable and i said sorry mate no he went well we're not going to bother then i said this is serious you've got you've got to listen to me and then another uniformed police officer and he gets the same treatment i said you know you need to talk to me um Here's my stipulations. So I get a call from a DCI, Detective Chief Inspector, which is above an inspector, but detective, and it's a woman. So John, I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen. Now I, I'd moved on. I was on another unit by this time. And I go up to this secure building. They have these secure offices all over the place. I mean, they have some crazy buildings. You wouldn't even know they were there. You know, the National Crime Squad. Yeah. You, you, the only way you notice these buildings because the, the security cameras. There's too many of them, and so the National Crime would have plumbers' vans in there, and, and you think they're a builders' yard, but they're not. They're you know, um, they're on trading estates. That's where you find a lot of the real serious ones, and 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 the intelligence services are even more bizarre. Some of their buildings. Um, one 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 of the intelligence services places in in um, by Victoria was a barber shop. You know, so, so it's. Anyway, um, so I, I go up there, and on my way up there, I'm met by this this detective inspector from the vice unit. And I'm thinking, I'm about to—what's he doing here? And he starts talking to me about the senior officer that I'm going to report. And it was—how did he know? Do you know what I mean? I just right, and uh, he wanted me to come and have a cup of tea and chat with him. Oh, I have seen it. Let's go for beer. And I said, mate, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to go. So he's, he's collared me in this corridor. And I thought, that's weird. Anyway, I then managed to get through into this um, secure area. It's all swipe card access. Someone has to take you in. And and I go in there and this this woman, DCI, comes in. And she was a nice woman. She wasn't a bad woman. And she said, John, I'm here to listen. I said, this is involving cover-ups of young kids being pimped out. and, And I've been threatened for speaking out. She said, we will take it seriously. You'll be a protective witness with us. Said, Why have you stipulated a woman of my rank? I said, Because, boss, you can't roll up your trouser leg, right? And that is an inference is you won't be a Mason, right? Um, because part of the Masonic thing is they roll up trouser legs. Now, I work with many Masons. I'm not knocking Masons. I just I just had um someone from a Free Masonic Lodge have a go at one of my friends saying, John Wedge has upset us because he's talking about Masons. I'm not. What I'm saying is you shouldn't have an oath within an oath, right? And there is corruption and the Masons have been involved, like the Catholic Church has been involved, like the police have been involved, you know what I mean? It's so so if that Mason had done, why didn't he help me instead of berating me? You know, he could have said, well, if it's our people that are doing it, we'll put this right instead of saying, well, you shouldn't be talking about it sort of thing, So, But you know, the the unit I was on was heavily Masonic, you know, very, very, it's, you'll find masonry is big in the police, but when you get to specialist units, it's very big, and when you get to detective specialist units, it's like a stick of rock, it's basically all the way through, you know, mm-hmm. but women can't join, now, I know there are women in Masonic lodges, but they're on the, old. but in the police, it ain't going on, um, and of course, I'm reporting a senior officer covering up child abuse, and like, so years later, Someone brings me out and they say John, watch Line of Duty. Right? I was like, alright, I don't really like watching them, so I'm thinking, okay, I'll watch it. And there's a series about a superintendent. I watched it. Yep. Yeah. And then and a woman officer and exactly that same line was used, because Mum, you can't roll up your trouser leg. And I'm thinking who's leaked that that was my case that was my case to a tee but of course what happens in that it, it all goes down to its high level up there you know it's all hidden in that in allegory as they say it's there and, and it's it's the inference you know we, you know what we've seen with Jimmy Savile, I and we'll see it again and again it will happen it will keep coming out and, and people will keep getting subdued but the more we have outlets you know like this the more they're going to struggle to keep a lid on this and, and that's why i think we've just got to keep going be a really really strong and credible alternative i get a lot of ex-military guys come to me some of them are getting politicized which i don't think the government are very happy about one of them rang me up and about three days later he gets his yard raided you know he's an ex-officer and he and he said you know is any advice i said yeah don't have any dirt on you and whatever you do, do it legal, you know? Um, if they've got any doubt on you, it's going to come out. I mean, you, you look at, like, you know, Tom, Tommy Robinson what what he's doing, you know, th- th- there's been this to and from between me and him, and, you know, because I helped him out with his um, his daughter got sexually assaulted and he got arrested, you know? And I said, this is wrong, you know, you know and I actually contacted bedfordshire police and said look this is against protocol i said to him look this is the protocol they should have adhered to and they haven't but i don't agree with your political stance or anything like that but they can use it against him the people who follow him you're going to have that working class right-wing mentality and i don't want to align with that that's not my thing but you know the, the youth need to take an interest in politics they've got to stop these old etonians riding roughshod over everything you know they've got no grasp of reality they're contemptible in, in their, their mannerisms to you and the more that we shy away from that you know the more they're going to continue with this old boys network you know um the ex-military lot there's a lot of coppers or ex-military they'll find it very difficult to go against them and and if you were, if you want to take i said to him if you want to take um uh, an example there's a film called pride um And Pride is on film four, did it? And it's about a bookshop in, I think it's sort of um, Fitzrovia, that sort of, or King's Cross, that sort of area. Um, Come to me in a minute exactly where it was. um, Russell Square type area, right? And it's like a a left-wing gay, lesbian bookshop back in the 80s, right? It's based on them, right? The gay and lesbian community that operate out this this left-wing sort of... um, anarchist type community, right? And the minor strike has just kicked off, right? And they're seeing that what the miners are doing is they're fighting for the right reasons. So they politicize themselves and they said, right, we want to help them. What do these people need? Well, they're going to need money. So they do a fundraiser amongst their community and they get a load of money and they go down there. And of course, they get told, get stuff. We don't want you, you freaks. We don't want you in our village anyway so what they do is they go and buy them a minibus they buy the because they realize this these miners the colliery and all that they haven't got a minibus it's broken or something so they buy them a minibus then they get a like them and then they start raising more and more money and it it goes from there and it changed history because the point of it was was that they all stood together so all the colliery bands the the, the, the gay and lesbian said right we're going to do a, a march in london so they said well good luck with it right um and when they when they turned up to do this march, right? They were met with um, all the colliery bands turned up with all their their standards and their their you know marching bands and everything. And all the miners came, and and it changed the law. You know, it actually changed how they were treated and everything else. It was one up the trousers for old Maggie Thatcher. Really, they sort of took it to her. And I said, if you do the same, you look at all you ex forces guys. You know, you turn up with all your regimental standards badges you 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 look you know, berets and whatnot you march you take it down the firemen do what they did with mark True. i'm not advocating violence but just say we're not having enough of these cover-ups the taxi drivers i've been and i've podcasted uh, uh, the the monthly black cab disputes right in in central london when they would block all of all of london off no one ever gets arrested because there's a lot of ex-coppers going to black cab and it's very very tight community you try prosecuting a black cab driver i think war boys is about the only one they they managed to prosecute He let the side down there but on the whole yeah. they um they you know but they they always helped the cops we had the power to commandeer their cabs so they would take especially in the west end they would if you was on foot patrol they'd take you to a call and i never had an issue with them and my my, my dad was a black cab driver anyway so and I said to him, why don't we do what the cab drivers, you know, get hold of them, the firemen, the hauliers, you know, all get together, but no violence, none of that. Get together and take it to them and say, we've had enough of you. And your MP is there to serve you. Get your MP right in. I've people, because I, I, I've got this thing on my website, a list of... of um, people that are involved in paedophilia and all that and there's some politicians names in there and and they said well he could you know he could be linked in so what they still got to do their job go to them and make them do their job you know and take an interest in it and you will change it but sitting down doing nothing ain't going to help you know you've got to do the job and the same with what we're doing with 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 the health um, situation in the country now if there is an opponent then, then but do it the right way don't have someone who's got history. You've got professional people. Get them. Get them up front. Articulate people, and 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 the same with the survivor community. You know, you know. Ch- you can change this. You can. You can change our this Sarah Everard thing. Look at. The, they went and they did a candlelit protest. They end up arresting that girl, didn't she? And she got trolled by about fifty coppers, and they were perving over her. F- uh, Facebook account. I mean, just... <laughs> but that girl has changed things. Not poor Everard who died. Uh, obviously, that that will. But that girl who, who 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 took one for the regiment. You know, she's changed things. You know, very powerful what happened now. You know, because she was doing nothing wrong, and they mob handedly jumped on her, and it was it was outrageous. You know, and then they're now holding accountable and say so she should stand down and, I, and i'm with her she should if she's not serving the people you go and the same as the lord mayor you're not serving you go we put them there we get rid of them but you, you try and talk to the youth now they've got no interest you know the, what's going on so that's the thing we, we, we've got to educate you've got to take an interest in the youth you know we must invest in them um, and they've got to take an interest because this is, is there, well, that we're going to leave behind. None of us are going to be here forever. You know, I'm in my 50s now, my mid-50s, what, I don't know, maybe I've got 15 years left, maybe not, I don't know, I mean, who knows? Um, I'll be gone and they'll be down at my kids, and, you know, and again, while they're sitting there and just doing all that, then, then we're not going to move forward, are we, you know? Yeah. We're not, so, but, yeah, no, so that is my thing, is, is just really that, that we are coming together as a team of good people, good professionals and being a viable alternative. If the police aren't going to do it, then we'll do it. We'll do it. But we'll do it the right way, the respectable way. And you know, and and if we get results and it shows it, what we're doing works and what they're doing doesn't work.
1: You're almost a 21st century superheroes. Yeah, it could be, can not we? Yeah, with <laughs> tight
3: pants over our trousers, <laughs> you know?
2: All right, well, power to you then, John, and if you want to watch the other four podcasts, I'll put the links in the description box. The first one really details John's experience in the cops and d- decades, was it 30 years you did?
3: I did, I did uh, 25 years, I got a 27 and a half year pension, uh, you know, during the beginning of the 90s, and I would have, I would have been out with um, 30 years by now anyway, but yeah. Yeah, I, it was slightly short of the full distance, but that was enough. I was happy to get out, you know, i have done my time.
2: And for all the people out there, you know, to hear John just coordinating this massive effort now to, to make real-world changes, it's so impressive. So all his links will be down there if you want to reach out and support him. Jen's links will be down there if you want some organic cotton clothing or to follow her on, follow on Instagram. <laughs> James's link will be down there if you need a cameraman. And please let us know in the comments what you've thought about this video. Really appreciate you spending time with us today on Jen's sofa. It's a really lovely background, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, John, give us a hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheers. Cheers, bye-bye. Oh, great hug, Well done. Uh,
3: thank you. Brilliant. God bless.
1: Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution. Here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It is now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textile Standard Association. Check us out on organic cotton clothing dot co dot u k